This week on the Coach Mac Podcast, Jim McElwain gives us his latest update on the coaching staff, players, and what this fall could look like from the team and practice perspective. Coach Mack talks about recruiting and how CMU football is impacted by high school football in Michigan being postponed to the spring. Our guest is Toledo Rockets head football coach Jason Candle. Coach Mack asks about his football background, path to Toledo, dealing with COVID-19, and much more. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode and hope you enjoy. Coach Mack, I know you probably aren't aware of this, but we are coming up this week on the four-month anniversary of this podcast debut. So I have to ask you a question right off the top. Have you planned any sort of celebration for how far we've made it and how far we've come on the podcast here? Four months. Four months. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Wow. That's uh, darn near gone a season. I mean, soon enough, it's going to be half a year, and, th- and then it's going to be a year, and we're just going to keep on rolling. No, oh, it's great. And I tell you, I, I, what's been kind of really cool is all different guests we've had and, and uh, you know, not only talking, uh, obviously, all the things that pertain to Chippewa football, but some other things and, and getting other people's perspectives on things. I think that that's been kind of fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've we've touched on a variety of topics. We've talked about a ton of sports. Coach, you've got a, a great deal of knowledge, and um, we'll just keep on rolling. Episode 17 today, so let's just first start off the top. How are you, the team, the staff, the players? How are you all doing as we continue on here in the fall? Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, after the initial kind of, you know, feeling sorry for yourself a little bit, <laughs> um, you know, without having a season and and yet kind of watching the, the, the scene that's out there from afar, um, you know, I think our guys have realized, okay, now what we need to do, here's how we need to focus. And, uh, you know, we obviously, we started school, um, which is, you know, great to see, you know, activity here in town and, and people around. And, and you know what I have noticed, um, really, um, how the people and how the students um, have have really adapted to wearing masks mm-hmm. and uh, you know our guys adapting to different schedules like they might have an in class you know one day a week you know two virtual classes the next week might be two in class one virtual you know all that kind of thing and really for us this first week of school has been all right here's your schedule now let's create the routine. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel real good about that, uh, where we're headed. And, and really some of the things that are coming up that are being proposed as to what this fall might look like for those guys. Let's go off what you just said, Coach. What are you uh-huh. hearing or what do you think about how this fall can look like for a conference like the MAC in a school like Central Michigan that, that's not going to play football here in the fall like a typical year? Well, you know, it's not only us. It's the Big Ten. It's 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 the Pac-12. It's it's the Mountain West. You know, there's there's other Division One schools, you know, conferences uh, that are in this. And right now, kind of working together on what that model might look like. Um, you know, this first uh, couple weeks, we were in a eight-hour phase. That's kind of an off-season phase for you know less you know for lack of a better term. Um, where those hours are, are with Joel in the weight room and, and uh, you know, doing that. 
eight hours a week. Um, but we're kind of looking at this uh, new kind of hybrid schedule that's actually going to allow us to work seven hours a week uh, on, on strength and conditioning, you know, with some meeting time in there, uh, five hours a week, which I'm really excited about, where we can do individual skill development and actually a lot like the basketball does in the off season where they can work, you know, with, with X amount of players and, and get some fundamental work in which we need uh, a lot of that, but our coaches are going to be able to be involved with that. And, uh, and, and being able to use, you know, some dummies and the football and the shoots and the sleds and those type of things without going 11 on 11, but really hone in on the fundamental piece. And, and with that, that'd be a five day a week program with two days off. So I think we're headed in the right direction. Uh, as far as uh, not only the strength conditioning piece, uh, but also uh, in the skill development piece. And in, in keeping in mind now, we've got the testing protocol in place, uh, you know, the, the things we're doing to keep these guys safe. So um, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I'm excited for our coaches to be able to work, you know, in those small groups, because during a certain lift time, you might only have three of your players there. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's individual. And I imagine, Coach, that's going to be huge and impactful for some of your newer coaches that are on the staff for the first time this year and then your newer players that are coming into the program for the first time. They're str still trying to get to know each other and build those relationships. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and our use of that time, and, I, and I, I go back and say this, you know, the amount of kids that have said, Coach, we – you know, we're excited about the school piece. I kind of know that. But, look, we need some structure. We need routine. And we're going to be able to give them now uh, that. And and then as coaches, we're going to be able to be, you know, uh, able to teach them ourselves, you know, not from afar. And I think that that's, that's really important that, that we get some of that personal touch. And, and uh, you know, that's going to be big. Absolutely. That's that sounds great for the fall. I wanted to go back to you talking about the first week of school and um, the, the student athletes being back here on campus. What's what's your interaction, Ben, you and the coaching staff just trying to make sure that that everything is comfortable for them? And as you mentioned, that they kind of ease into that new routine that they're going through here in the fall. Right. There's been obviously, you know, small groups. Um, you know, I have an opportunity to meet with them, you know, as a full team a couple times a week. Uh, and we do that in the indoor where we're totally spaced. And uh, obviously, it's a, that's the largest classroom on campus. So <laughs> uh, we're able to uh, space the guys out and, uh, you know, wear our masks and yet kind of set the themes for those, you know, periods of time uh, as, as full group and then break it up. Uh, individually, uh, where the coaches, the main focus has been, okay, here's your schedule, all right? You've got this online, you've got this in person, you know, let's set your day-to-day -day calendar and, and make sure you understand that maybe this class is all online, but that doesn't mean that you don't work on it every day. So it's really establishing that, establishing their study hall hours, 
and then fitting the workouts around each individual schedule. Yeah, as we know, they are student athletes, and although they are participating in football and playing that at a high level for you and the staff and for this university, they've also got to go to class and make sure they take care of that in part uh, as they hope to graduate here at Central Michigan. Coach, one thing I forgot to talk to you about that I wanted to bring up, so sorry to spring this on you, but the announcement came last week about football in the state of Michigan at the high school level is being moved to the spring. So there won't be fall football in the state of Michigan. And I know that you've got a good recruiting base being in central Michigan in the state of Michigan. So how does this impact recruiting for the state of Michigan and for other states that may cancel and not have football in the fall? How does that work for you and the staff as you still try and bring in new recruits to this program? Sure. Well, I mean, the good thing is we've got a great jump, you know, head start on this class, as I've said, and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing, you know, to get a couple commits here and there. And, and, uh, and we're, we're getting close to being filled up. That's a good thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for these kids, um, you know, them being in the same boat as of a lot of college guys, right. And a lot of that, um, the conversations I have, you know, we get, uh, I get a weekly FaceTime with all these kids and, and all that kind of thing. And, and, um, you know, for the most part, I tell you this, I think that their spirits, although disappointed, I think they also can understand that this is going to be an opportunity for them to, you know, make sure that they handle what they need to do academically. All right. Um, a lot of the programs still have some form of workouts for those kids. And that's still kind of up in the air with different districts and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, the big piece and the thing I talk to them a lot about, and, and I talk to our own team and our own guys in the organization is, is, uh, look, none of us control this. So ultimately whoever comes out on the back end on top are going to be the ones that deal with it the best and the most efficiently. And, and you know what, there's no need to, to, you know, be angry or, or upset. It, it, it is what it is <laughs> and how are we going to deal with it that really is best for our kids and that's what we're doing a great job of here at central yeah getting ready to deal with a potential spring season coming up in yep. the mid-american conference and other conferences hoping to do the same with that said coach there's a lot of talks within the ncaa and votes i know that are coming out soon but have you heard anything more or do you have an idea about what scholarship numbers can look like in such a weird time for college football? Right. And, and that's something that the committee is tackling. I think, you know, obviously with the, the precedent has been set based on what they did with last spring's sports, you know, uh, as far as some of that eligibility piece. Now, you know, the big piece is going to be now, how do we handle those numbers um, you know, based on that. Um, and, you know, I think our administration has really got some good plans and some different thoughts uh, in place to see what that is. But yet nobody knows until they vote on it. And, uh, you know, from my understanding, that should be in the next day or so. And we should have more clarity on exactly what that looks like. Yeah, it'll be interesting to follow that as uh, we go through the fall and, again, head towards the spring, what numbers look like for for college football in general. Coach, wanted yeah. to – go ahead. Well, you know, along, along those lines, you know, it, it's 
we've got five guys that were due to graduate this, you know, at the end of this fall. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, what is that going to look like for them to get that senior season? And is the spring going to count as that? Um, You know, in the meantime, do we wait until, you know, the next season? Uh, How does that look? So there's a lot of those things that, that, and, and here's a good thing. I think people are looking at guys that, it isn't all about going to the NFL, but it's having a great senior year, right? We all look forward to that. And, um, you know, I think there's some really good thoughts out there right now, and I'll be excited to find out what they come up with. Yeah, because there's been a lot of talk about, you know, guys that have high draft stocks and, and why would they potentially play, whether their conference is trying to go here in the fall or trying to have a season in the spring. And, you know, I've heard a couple of players, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, these guys just love the game of football and they love competing for the university that they're at and playing with their teammates. And uh, I think that's something that may be forgotten a lot by national members that are kind of dipping their toe into college football in terms of, hey, they may hurt themselves or their chances for the NFL if they play, but these guys are all playing the game, it seems like, because they love the sport and they're passionate about it. No, you hit it on the head. And, uh, you know, if you look at it, you know, and you, you, you see the ones that, that are passing up, whatever, um, that is a very small percentage <laughs> of what it is of the entire college football population. And uh, so, um, the you know, a huge majority of guys, they just want to play. And uh, I'm excited about our guys doing that. I did want to get into one baseball topic here before we bring on Jason Candle, a, a Mid-American Conference friend of yours and, of course, a, a very good coach at Toledo. And maybe, Coach, we can ask him a little bit about this, but you're a big baseball guy, and we've had some news here this week about the unwritten rules of baseball. Here's the scenario. Uh, the Padres are up by seven runs in the eighth inning against the Rangers, and there's a 3-0 count. Fernando Tatis, one of the youngest players and stars in the league right now, Hits a, he swings away at the 3-0 and gets a grand slam, and both the Rangers manager and his own Padres manager didn't like that he swung on the 3-0, said it was basically baseball unwritten rules that you don't swing when you're up that big. So I wanted to kind of pivot that to football, and you, who you've had big leads in the fourth quarter here at CMU or Florida or Colorado State or wherever you've been, how do you handle that situation with your guys where you want them to go hard every play, but you also have to be conscious of running up the score uh, against an opponent? Um, I guess what, what is your message to a team or, or how do you take in that situation? So, you know, I, I think it's pretty interesting and I'm kind of glad you brought it up because, you know, really in today's world of football, all right, you hear them talk about style points for people, Mm -hmm. correct? And it's really a shame because at one time, unless you were just kind of one of those guys that was all about stats or whatever that really didn't care about anybody, the majority of the coaches, you know, would would take the accelerator off, uh, get a governor on it, and get through the game once they knew the game was was in hand. And, you know, it, it... obviously getting your backups in, you know, get them valuable time doing what they're doing and not totally handcuffing them, but you're not throwing it deep every down either. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Um, 
and and that's for both sides of the ball. And yet, what happens sometimes is maybe the opposing coach, all right, um, you're trying to empty your bench and be good to them, and all of a sudden they're in there still playing their starters, you know, throwing it all around the park and doing all that stuff when the game's already in hand and you're looking at, hey, we both know what the inevitable is. And look, we're not here to put 50 on you. That's just that's just not what I believe in, because um, I do believe no matter what you do in this profession, you know, what what goes around comes around. And uh, and I've learned that from most of the coaches I've, I've been around that. Once it's in hand, let, let's say, let's get the backups in. Um, let, let's use the clock, but let's go ahead and let them play. Um, but at the same time, you're not trying to, you know, snap the ball at every seven seconds. So do you even talk to your team about that? Or is it just, it's from a standpoint of calling plays. You're just not as aggressive in those situations when it is maybe in that fourth quarter, the, the second or third sure. string guys are in. No, you're gonna you're gonna run whatever you have. You know, if yeah. it's third and four, you're gonna you're gonna run the third and four stuff that you practice that week because your backups practiced it, right? Um, you know, if it's third and ten, you're gonna you know whatever's on your third and ten list. But you're not gonna you know you're gonna bleed the clock. You're gonna let that quarterback know uh, that's in there. You know, hey, we're not we're not here to you know snap it with 20 seconds left on the clock. Let's let's get it under 10. Let's execute. Let's get you on film. You know that kind of thing, and and try to move the game along. Yeah, because I think it is kind of lost by the fans and the people watching that these are your colleagues. Like it's Central Michigan. Let's say, for example, just because of our guest today, Central Michigan against Toledo, you want to beat them. Jason Candle and his team wants to beat you, but at the end of the day, coach, you've got a relationship with him and you respect him. And uh, as you mentioned, you don't believe in, in running up the score late. So that's something that you take into account as well. I think that respect factor that you are mentioning. Yeah. And that, you know what, that, that might be a, you know, good question for you to kind of hit Jason with as well um, and get a, get another, you know, perspective on it. Uh, um, but, you know, I just believe this. I, I, I believe in letting guys play, um, you know, they're here, they're going through practice any opportunity you have to get those guys in a game, I think is, is meaningful and it helps your program in the long run. With baseball, it is kind of weird, right? Because with football, you have a chance to get the ball back. But for me, it's weird with baseball because you can have a lead, but then that team gets the last at bat in the bottom of the ninth and you don't get another shot. So we've seen those crazy games where if you're up seven, eight, nine runs, sometimes there's comebacks and they get the last at bat if you're on the road. So I think baseball and football for me are different, but it, it's unique to hear the perspectives from different sports. Yeah. And yet, you know, the game of baseball um, and, and, and you know what, that in, in all sports there, there's kind of some unwritten rules. Um, and, and yet I think baseball might be, from a purist standpoint, might have more of those unwritten rules than any other sport. All right. Well, our guest this week, Coach Mack, we keep it in the Mid-American Conference. And uh, one of the guys you're familiar with, Jason Candle, who's had a lot of success at Toledo, he's going to join us today. Yeah, and I, I, I'd say 
First of all, I just got to tell you how excited I am to have you on, Jason. I really appreciate you taking this time. Hard up to be here. Appreciate you taking me and uh, and going to be a good time, I'm sure. That's right. Well, you know, this is a guy that that obviously I've admired uh, as a coach. He 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 brought his staff down and visited us at, at one of the places I was at. Um, I know this. Uh, this guy's uh, a shooting star in this uh, in this profession, and what he's done speaks for itself. And and you know I'm excited to kind of find out a little bit on on letting the people know a little bit about you, and and uh, you know more than anything a little bit about you know some of your thoughts on some of the things that are going on. You you got any problem with that, Jace? Sounds great. All right, man. So kind of an Ohio guy. Is that easy to say? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's easy to say. You're either kind of or you are or you're not. <laughs> and uh, I've been here my whole life, grew up uh, south of Youngstown, um, you know, northeast Ohio, where obviously high school football is a very important thing. And, um, you know, was able to play collegiately at Mount Union, um, which anybody that's familiar with, you know, collegiate football knows that that program has set the standard at the Division three level. And, Played for Larry Karras, who you know has done it arguably as good as anybody's ever done it here, and there's statistic proof of that um, with his record. And you know, really uh, fell into a great situation there, and learned about how to do things the right way, in my opinion, and uh, really to care about people and kids, and, and really help them maximize their potential. Um, you know, was lucky enough and fortunate enough to you know probably trick somebody into hiring me there as a, right after right out of college and coached there until 2008. Um, and then came here to Toledo in 2009 under Tim Beckman as the wide receiver coach. Um, you know, then was the offensive coordinator for Matt Campbell. Uh, and then when Matt left to go to Iowa State, was promoted to be the head coach. So I've been in Ohio my whole life. And, um, you know, obviously you get to see a lot of the country in this world, as you know, from the recruiting standpoint of things. But uh, very blessed to not have to go too far from home base. You know, the, the it's interesting, you, you know, you talk about even just growing up kind of, in that in that Youngstown area, uh, you know, and and you know, I got a shout out because who knows, there might be somebody from Salem, you know, listening. So we got to throw that in there, right? But no doubt. At, at the same time, uh, there's there there's certain football tradition of guys of people, kind of from that area of Ohio, that have been really really uh, uh, successful. Uh, gone on not only as players but as coaches what what do you think that is as far as that area in 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 that area of ohio in particular well i i always joke when people say well there's so many football coaches that come out of youngstown and northeast ohio and i always say there's there's two things to do there one work in the steel mill or two become a football coach and all the steel mills are closing so are closed <laughs> but um I think it's that blue collar mentality, and I just think it's, you know, a Friday night is really important to that area of the of the, of the country, and it was really important in, you know, the you know, early '90s when I was going through an impressionable time, in the mid '90s, and, and even in the late '90s when I was a player. And if you went to any high school football game right now, um, you know, if it wasn't the situation we were in, it would be packed in every Friday night, and there'd be great representation for. Uh, from a fan base and a lot of pageantry that goes along to it and a lot of school spirit. And a lot of those, those schools are community schools. They were, 
you know, the suburbs that, that, that take a, a really good liking to their school and their team and, and the true community involvement. So, uh, you know, it, it was a point of emphasis from an importance of a community piece and from a, uh, you know, a structure from a family piece of it. So uh, it was something that I, I, I really grabbed my attention at a young age. And when you got to play at my high school, it really meant something. I played with a really good school who, you know, back then it wasn't, you know, computer points didn't get 10 different teams in the playoffs and only got a couple teams in the playoffs. So uh, we had a really good run when we were, you know, we won the state championship my freshman year and, um, you know, we're in the AP top 10, you know, uh, for a really long stretch there and had a great coach and a guy that really run a first class program and Jim Lout. And, um, you know, the, the principal at the time back then was still able to coach football and he was my wide receiver coach. So football was a big deal at our school. Um, and I, and I know we aren't the only school in that area that that was this case. Sure. And, um, you know, I think it's great what you say about the communities, you know, and, and as goofy as this sounds, having met a few of those guys from that area in coaching, you know, I, I see actually a lot of similarities from the state of Montana where, you know, those, those communities, those towns, it means so much, you know, to each town, to each area, to each school, and, and the people that even follow you on the road to come watch a game. That had to be fun playing on a Friday night. Well, it makes it makes it that much more special because, you know, and again, home football games, you know, usually uh, brings a great following for the band, brings a great following for the cheerleaders and their family. Uh, but when you go on the road, you know, it's it's great to see that community support and that same following that you would get at a home game and my high school really did honestly have that and um you know it wasn't a big city it wasn't a it's not a, a bunch of things to do on a friday night so friday night lights uh, was truly it and uh something we really embraced yeah that's great the, you know you mentioned like uh, your coach and and those type of things and you know i i you know i just love the fact that actually knowing somebody that was actually associated not only as a player, but a coach from Mount union who, <laughs> I don't know how many million games and championships they've won. Um, but tell me a little bit about some of the things you learned there, not only as a player, but really how that carried over into coaching from the days of Mount union. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, it's, there's 215 guys on the team. Um, yeah. Say that you know, again. So, I think people yeah. might have missed that. How many guys are on the team? Yeah, anywhere from 215, and sometimes I think we were even upwards of 230. You know, I, I think my first year coaching, I was the, the wide receiver coach at one of one, and I think I had 32 wide receivers. Oh, wow. uh, and I'm getting yelled at by the head coach of why guys are standing in line. <laughs> think about that. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think. You know, obviously it's a special place because, you know, even my at my time when I was there, I mean, we're paying $20,000 a year to go to school. And, you know, we just looked at it as an opportunity to go out and do what we love to do and extend, um, you know, for four more years. And in some cases, some guys five more years of what they really love to do, um, you know. And I think at some point in time, you know, everybody knows that football is going to be taken from them at some point. And when you play division three football, there's, it comes with no expectations. It doesn't come with the NFL's an expectation right when you're done playing at the division three level. So you get out of yourself really fast. And I think sometimes young people really struggle with that. They really struggle with getting out of themselves and they really, they really struggle with getting into the team concept because uh, when you get a division one scholarship or you get a, 
a full ride somewhere to, and even if it's not division one, I mean, if you get a scholarship somewhere, that means something, it's a badge of honor and it should be because you worked really hard for it. But there's a lot of self driven things that come along with getting that. And when you're a division three guy and you're paying out of your pocket, you just want to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. And uh, what a special place that can rally 215 or 230 guys to come together for a common goal. I mean, Mac, you got you to understand this. Like, well, I was part of a team that won 54 straight games. Uh, we lost one, and we turned around and won 55 straight to follow it. So we won 109 out of 110. Um, <laughs> I don't care what level of football. I don't care what level of any sport it is. That's really difficult to do if the guys on the team don't genuinely care uh, for themselves and for the betterment of the team. You know, I, I, I've been associated with a couple teams. I don't think we could have won that many games against there. <laughs> we'd have figured out how to lose ones along the way, but uh, man, that that is unbelievable. Um, you know, you, you get the opportunity to kind of get into the Mid American Conference, obviously at the, at at Toledo where you're at now. Um, how did that connection come about? You know, I think sometimes in coaching, you know, the the networks and and how you kind of are able to get one of those jobs. You know, coming from Division Three, how did that work for you? Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's that's you make you make an interesting point because uh, my career path was a little bit different. I didn't, I was never a graduate assistant. I didn't go uh, get a chance to work at Ohio State or Michigan or someplace where I could be a GA and, and really work hard and put my time in that way and, and get to know some coaches that broke away and became coordinators or broke away and became head coaches and uh, rewarded me for my hard work. I I had to kind of take a different path and. Um, you know, Matt Campbell was a grad assistant at Bowling Green with, with Tim Beckman, uh, who was the defensive coordinator at the time there. Um, and Matt and I were college teammates at Mount Union, played together there, and, and obviously Matt, is, you know, his success is well documented at Iowa State and obviously here when he was the head coach here. So um, Matt becomes the offensive coordinator when Tim Beckman gets the job here, um, you know, in between you know, Matt helping me get a, get my foot in the door and, and, and Beck wanting to hire me and give a guy from the Division three level a chance. And, you know, Beck's biggest thing when he was putting together a staff was that, you know, he wanted to hire what he thought were winners and people that, you know, had a track record of success. And, you know, and like I said, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to be in a place that had, you know, I could I could speak to those things and what made it successful. And, you know, obviously Matt's, Matt's recommendation and Matt's liking and, and you know, and his, his thought process of what we could be offensively, uh, with me on the staff, I, I thought, you know, that's that's really kind of how I got here and got it started, to be honest with you. You know, and, and you know, you, you talk about that in our profession is, yeah, there's a lot of guys. And yet somehow I think all of us are kind of connected in some form or fashion. Um, and and ultimately, you know, it's it, it goes back to that break, but really that network that you kind of build. Absolutely. And I think. You know, it's much like probably what we're all telling our players right now. You, you can't, if you're searching for clarity and you're searching for certainty, that can be emotionally exhausting. And I, I tell grad assistants all the time, I tell young coaches all the time, you know, you're, you're going to get your opportunity. You're going to get your break. Uh, when it is, I don't know. And, wh- and whatever path that is, it's not going to be the same as what my path or anybody else's path was. Um, but when you do get the break, and if you get the break, uh, you got to make sure that that, that looks like when you're standing in a batter's box, like box, like it's a 50 mile an hour fastball coming right down the middle of the plate and you knock it out of the park. It doesn't look like, you know, one coming at your head at a hundred miles an hour. So 
point being, you got to be ready for your opportunity, and when you get it, you got to be able to take the most, take, make the most out of it, and really take advantage of it. Because I think, uh, you know, as easy as, it is, as hard as it is to climb to get to, you know, where you want to be, it's really easy to fall backwards. You know, you being in this league now, Toledo, um, you know, for quite a while, both as an assistant, obviously as a coordinator, and, and now as a head coach. What are some of the things you've seen uh, kind of just in the league itself, um, you know, since your time has been in the MAC? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, this is going on year 12 for me. Um, and, you know, obviously I think the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, all the great players that we've been we've been fortunate enough to coach here at Toledo and really fortunate enough to watch and prepare and, and to play against. Uh, you know, this league's produced a lot of – uh, really solid pro talent um, that have gone and had fantastic NFL careers. You know, you guys are uh, coming from a place that, you know, I, I was part of a game on a random Tuesday night or Wednesday night where I watched Antonio Brown and the boys hang about 65 points on us our first year when I was at Toledo. Um, you know, I, they're Trishers of the world, the Cleo Max of the world, the Kareem Hunts, the, you know, to the, to the guys that, you know, most recently with Deontay Johnson drafted out here and, you know, we've, so I've seen a bunch of good players come through the league and a bunch of guys that went on and had fantastic careers and, and many really good players that, that didn't have great pro careers, but man, were they good football players. Um, I think our league's very interesting in the sense that there's uh, a little bit of, you have some of the success of guys leaving to go on and play and have uh, great uh, careers chasing their dreams, but yet you've got guys that were really outstanding football players that are probably making an impact from various institutions in our league in other aspects of the world. You know, I mean, um, this is a great league. It's a, it's a regionally located league. You get the pageantry. You get the uh, competitiveness of a Central Michigan versus Western Michigan. You get the, the competitiveness against uh, of a Toledo uh, versus that team down south that we like to call them. Um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of rivalries. There's a lot of you know regional um, you know uh, games that, that that mean a lot to people here because I think football is a, is a very important part of the Midwest. You know, you, you, you mentioned about the players. I guess, you know, one of the things, that, uh, <laughs> obviously, a lot of the places I've been, the great coaches, both as assistants and head coaches that have come through the conference. And, you know, it's kind of neat now because you go places and, and you've kind of got a built-in little fraternity of that, you know, of, of, of the coaches that have come through here. Well, uh, you know, one A would be the coaches, or the one A would be the players. One B for me would be the great coaches. I mean, I think this is truly a coaches league. I think, you know, there's a lot of parity when it comes to talent. I think you can. This is a league where you can you could win one week by 20 points, and the next week get beat by 20 if you're not on your A game. You know, there's not a bunch of there's not a major difference in the talent from roster to roster. Um, you know, these kids played into regionally located leagues, so most of these guys played against each other in high school. Um, you know, it, it's a, and there's a, there's a lot of familiarity with it. So uh, you got to be on your, your game plan. You got to have elite execution to be able to, to function week in and week out. And, um, you know, we were uh, fortunate a couple of years ago to be on a team that, you know, here in 17 that won 11 games and had a chance to win 12. Uh, and then, you know, to last year we had six wins. And if you said, Hey, what's the difference between, an 11 win season and a, and a six win season, it's not a whole lot. You know, there's a couple games where you, you didn't play as well as you probably should. Uh, there's a couple games that you, 
um, you know, a couple breaks that went your way in an 11 win season and a couple breaks that didn't go your way in a six, seven or eight win season. And that probably cost you that opportunity to get to 11 or 12, but uh, it's definitely a coaches league. And like you said, there's been a lot of coaches that have come here, come through here that are fantastic coaches and more importantly, fantastic people. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And, and, and that's, what's kind of cool about this profession, all the different guys you get to meet and, and then you find out, you know what, there, there's a, there's a background piece that, you know, everybody's kind of been through. Um, it's kind of a cool deal, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going to steal a question here from Adam that he loves to ask, you know, <laughs> either some of the coaches or some of the former players we've had on here, uh, even some of my former players that we've had on here. But, um, you know, uh, tell me a game that really stands out in those 12 years. Uh, that you had that, that, that Toledo was in, you know, one of those that really kind of like, uh, when you think about it, man, it was awesome one way or the other. Um, well, one, two of them really come to mind. I, uh-huh. I mean, we, you know, probably my first year here in 2009, we're playing Colorado here at home. Um, it's a big deal, obviously, to get, you know, a, a Pac-12 school uh, to come to the Glass Bowl. Um, we're playing them here on a Saturday night, and you know, I'm a I'm a assistant coach coming from Division Three, and uh, I walk out on the field, and the first the first guy I see, and it's funny because I actually went down to the Ravens last year and spent a couple of days, and I saw this guy practice. But do you remember the corner Jimmy Smith that played at Colorado? This kid yeah, had a absolutely. great program. He's still playing. He's yeah. he's six two. He looks like a million dollars, and I walk out and I walk by him, and I I see Smith on the back of the jersey, and I'm like, there's no way that's the corner. <laughs> there's no way. Uh, and I know that we're starting a freshman slot receiver. We're starting two other guys at receiver that um, ain't much better than the guys I had the year before at Mount Union. So uh, the next guy I walk past is this gigantic tackle who's about, that looks to me like he's about seven foot three. And again, trust me, this is, I'm new to all this at the time. And it's Nate Solder who has had a great, great pro career um, and been an unbelievable player. But uh, so I look, I go walking back in the locker room and, Campbell says, "What do you think?" I said, "We're going to get killed." I, I, I just saw two guys. I just saw two guys that I didn't seen anybody ever look like that in pads that it weren't in a pro stadium. But uh, long story short, you know, we we scored a ton of points and and we really we put it on Colorado pretty good here in front of our home fans and played really good offensively. And our and our freshman receiver, you know, had a, a coming out party that year. He ended up Eric Page was his name. He ended up being a freshman All American that year and. Um, was a great player for us, had a, had a good little run in the NFL too. But uh, that's got to be number one. And then number two is probably uh, going down to Ohio Stadium and, and uh, you know, having the Buckeyes on the ropes there down there. And, you know, we got it fourth and goal on the seven or eight-yard line. And uh, we throw an incompletion to a receiver that, that probably kind of could walk in and have a chance to beat the Buckeyes in their home stadium, which I don't think a made American conference school has ever done that. Um, you know, so, you know, even though we didn't quite, we came up a little bit short, that was really cool to go down there and, and really put up a great fight and watch our kids battle for 60 total minutes of the game. And, you know, like I said, even though we didn't win and you want to win and you want to get all that, but that was really cool to watch the fight in our team. You know, it's kind of cool. What you said too, is when you go into those games, really carrying a little bit of a, the pride of the league with you as well. No, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, this league is, as you know, is, you know, a league that's historically uh, had some really, really great wins against some really prominent programs and games that we shouldn't, you know, the outsiders don't even give us a chance to be in. But 
uh, we end up winning them. And, and I've seen a lot of places, um, you know, you, you could really, I could probably pick one. My 12 years, I could pick one from almost every school in our league that I can remember that that's happened to. And, and obviously Central's had a bunch of them as well and it, as, as Toledo has. But, uh, yeah, you're definitely – you're carrying that chip and uh, that underdog mentality that, that I know each locker room really represents in our league. You know, the, you know, I think it's, I think it's really interesting because, you know, uh, you've obviously been highly successful with your offenses and, and kind of, you know, wh- where did you develop that uh, system, you know, that, that, that mentality and really the, what you want to do from an offensive standpoint, where, where'd that background come from? Well, Larry Karras, obviously our, our coach at Mount Union was a, you know, I played X receiver in a, you know, a split, I played split end in college in a, uh, a split back rear offense with a flex tight end. And so, so were you, you know, a receiver that actually wore a neck roll because of blocking? Is that what you tell me? <laughs> I was a receiver that was required to go in and crack a safety. Now, nowadays, nobody, you don't do that nowadays. Number one, you're not allowed to do that from all the rules, but uh, now they just ask you to run a post behind the guy and try to throw <laughs> off that guy. But, um, you know, we <laughs> we were a power-running football team, you know, in 2004. We lost to Mary Harden-Baylor in the playoffs out of Texas, and they had some guys that could really run. They were a little more of a spread, wide-open style of team than we were, you know, and back in the early 2000s, Mount Union was – not losing very many games. And Mary Harden-Baylor really came up to Alliance and really outskilled us. And, and Coach really challenged us in the offseason to, to really inject some spread concepts. But, you know, that turned into that spring, we're going to go to the spread. Um, and then when it got a little bit out of his hands, we are not going to go to the spread. We want to. I still want to know, uh, you know, what, what I'm calling, what I'm doing, and that kind of thing. So I think over time, you know, we – we meshed, uh, you know, we went from a power run team to, to some uh, spread concepts to, you know, run tags and some air raid concepts in the passing game and all of that. So we dabble in a little bit of everything. You know, we were offensive like a, you know, a big pie, as you know, and what years you use certain slices, it's a little bit different based off of your players. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I always, I always knew, um, you know, if you were, when I played Chuck Moore was a, a really good running back, I knew, you know, I could whine all week long about how many balls I caught or what I was not going to catch. I knew Chuck Moore was going to get the football because coach's deal was it's players, it's formations, then it's plays. So um, get your best five skill guys, build an offense around them, uh, be damn sure and hope that you've got a great quarterback that can that can handle what you put on this plate and start there and uh, really find out what guys can do and highlight it and build off of that. So, yeah, we started with – we, we kind of went, you know, from a – inside-out mentality of always trying to be able to run the football to, you know, to now be in some more uh, open style of play, but still, you know, hoping to have that physicality piece of it. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, when we, we got to talking Adam and I in the first part of the show today, just a little bit about, you know, some unwritten rules. We were talking about baseball and, a, you know, the team was way up and a guy went ahead and swung on a three Oh pitch and, took it out of the yard and both managers were kind of upset, you know, cause the game was kind of over, but Adam, I'm going to let you go ahead and ask him the question about philosophically in those situations and, and what are, what the thoughts are. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Thanks coach Mac. Jason, I talked to coach Mac about this. What is your plan in a football game? Let's say if, if you're up big in the fourth quarter and maybe you're putting the substitutes in, you still want them to play hard. 
How do you handle that situation of making sure that you don't try and run up the score and disrespect your opponent, but also make sure that your guys are still giving it everything they got? Well, I, I think that, you know, obviously you're not going to – you're not going to – I was – we played a lot of games when I was at Mount Union where the score was very one-sided. Um, you know, I was part of teams that kicked field goals on second down, you know, not to run up scores, which I don't know if that's any better or not. I don't know if that's more embarrassing than running it up or what. But, um, you know, I think, you know, you're always trying to have the developmental piece to your program, you know, for guys that – don't get a chance to play. You want to, st- you know, maintain and, and get as much videotape on those guys in those game-like situations as you can. And uh, obviously, you want to keep the integrity of the game, and you want to. Uh, and there's a fine line there, you know. And you don't want to cross that line, especially to the guys that you have a bunch of respect for and um, that kind of situation. But you know, if I'm on the other side of that, I kind of do look at it in the sense of I'm not really offended if a guy's you know, uh, throwing the ball in the fourth quarter with the second or third team quarterback in there. That's our job to stop them. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't get, I don't get too caught up in that. Now baseball, eh, that's a little bit different than football to me and a little in, in some senses, because there is a lot of unwritten rules in there and those go back a long, long time. But I think sportsmanship and, you know, obviously the integrity of the game is at the forefront of everything we do. Um, but I also think that there's, you know, player development is really critical in football because you don't have many opportunities. You know, I, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting, you know, the different places you grow up, uh, the people you're around, the philosophies you develop and, and, you know, it's, you haven't been on both sides of those. Uh, you, you learn, you learn respect for the guy across the field. And, uh, that, that to me is really what makes this a great profession and, and, uh, knowing that you're, um, uh, you're both competing. You're both trying, and yet at the same time, you realize it is just a game. And, uh, yeah. you know, the whole style point points that's come into college football now because of those rankings and things, um, you know, I can remember, and you know, we're obviously fortunate to be at Alabama and had chances to hang 70 on guys all the time. Um, but you know what? That just wasn't Coach Saban's philosophy. And, uh, yeah. and we'd catch hell about it, but you know, that's the way it goes, and, and yet I get it in the end. Um, you know, I, here's another thing I think, you know, some of the people might know and might not know, and you know, I don't want to get personal on this or anything like that, but um, during this uh, COVID thing and, and all that's going on, um, you're a guy that can actually speak personally because you actually had it and and were in quarantine kind of tell me a little bit about that and and maybe our listeners might understand a little bit about it more you know coming from somebody that's actually experienced it yeah i mean it's not something that you you put your hand up and say hey i'll go take one for the team and try to go through that experience Um, you know i I mean my wife and i both had it um you know and both have tested positive for the antibody since um you know we have a three-year-old daughter we have a two-year-old son and, and my wife is pregnant with her third right now so um there's a lot of unknowns when it's just you uh getting it yourself um not alone you add in loved ones and you add in children that are part of this with you um you know it's a very uneasy time you know you've read every horror story that 
you know, that delivers somebody to the ICU or even worse, uh, you, you know, you hear the symptoms of um, severe body pains, you hear the symptoms of teeth chattering and the chills are so bad and all of these things that go along with it and how this thing attacks the body, um, you know, and I'm not making light of anybody else's situation because those are real situations. That's not what I experienced, but what I did experience um, being asymptomatic and my wife having very mild symptoms, what we did experience was the uncertainty of what the next day looked like. Yeah. Um, you know, is tomorrow going to be the day that you wake up with all of those things that you fear or you've heard about? And, um, you know, it, sometimes I feel like I'm 24 still, but I'm not 24. I'm 40. Uh, I'm, and there's a difference. And, you know, somebody that's 55 still thinks they're 40, but they're not. There's a difference. So you don't what you want to happen and what you think might happen. There's two different things. I think the other piece of it is you feel like as a coach and as a leader and a mentor of people, you always have the answer and you always have solutions with this. You don't have any answers and you're not part of the solution. You're actually sometimes feel like you're part of the problem. Like how in the world could I do this? How could I get this? How could I put my family in this situation? Was I being negligent? Was I being irresponsible? What happened? How did this happen? Um, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of questions that you have with yourself and, um, but like anything, any type of hard time or crisis, you rally around your loved ones, your family, and you just try to make the mess, the best of it, the most out of the situation. But it's definitely, it's not a, an easy time from a psychological standpoint of things. And, and like I said earlier, clarity and certainty are things when you get this virus, you don't, you don't have any of that. And I, and, and I think on a national scale, we don't have a lot of those answers yet either and i think that's why you see college football where it is right now some people playing some people not playing uh, opinions are what they are um, but i can tell you firsthand that that 14 days of, of sitting around worrying and wondering what's next or every time your three-year-old daughter sneezes if she's okay uh, that's not a great feeling no absolutely and and uh, i think that's a great perspective for all of us you know one of the things you touched on you know it you're 40 and, and, and you're, you, you really think you're still 24, right? You know, and in the things that you do. Well, I got to tell you this story. So our basketball teams, um, you know, we're unable to do anything indoors, you know, because of the state of Michigan. And uh, so it's an outdoor deal. Well, they, they've actually, where our trailers are, it overlooks the track. And our track, it, it, what they've done is they've put up hoops, and put an actual basketball courts on on the track. Okay, you 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 got the visual now, Jace? I do. I do. Well, at 58, I'm out there trying to do what I did, like feeling like I was Pistol Pete Maravich, and it just doesn't work that way. Anymore. I'm just <laughs> telling. <you. laughs> so, the mind, uh, the mind is a powerful thing, and so it's required <laughs> to move the body. <laughs> you got it. Well, I tell you what, this this was. Uh, this was awesome. I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and out of your busy schedule to do this. And more than anything, I want people to know out there that not only is this guy a great coach, but he's a truly a class act. And uh, I look forward to sitting on my couch, watching your career continue to roll and, and do the great things you do. And, and the one thing I got a lot of respect for you is, is, you know, you, you put the players first and, and you know what? That means so much, man. Thanks for being that way. Well, I appreciate it and I, all the kind things. And, you know, obviously the respect is very mutual here. And you know, you've you've had a great career and one that a lot of young coaches would look up to and emulate. And 
um, you know, it's fun to compete against guys that you got a lot of respect for. And, you know, Adam, maybe to answer your question a little bit earlier, Adam, is no, I didn't quite – I didn't get offended when Coach Mack ran it up on us last year. I just got pissed off at our guys and just know that we got to play a little bit harder next year. <laughs> there it is. I was waiting for it to come out. Hey, I want you to go back and count how many times we actually threw the ball in the second half, okay? I just want you to know that, right? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. But, well, but, know, we're uh, both trying to figure out what we were doing on Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, yeah, Coach Candle, that makes up for what the nine straight times you kicked our butts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well, who's counting? He didn't bring that up, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's this world, you know. You sometimes you like I said, this is a coach's league, and this is a league that um, if you don't bring it each and every week, you're gonna you're gonna feel the you know the the onslaught of somebody else, and um, you know we've been on both sides of that and I'm not dumb enough to believe that, that we won't be on both sides of it again someday so um, but like I said you know obviously a ton of respect for you Mac and what you do with your program and uh, the Central Michigan program as a whole and, and what it's been for decades now um, you know and like I said when I broke into this league in 2009 you know that place was the standard of, of what it looked like and um, you know that place was rolling and I know you guys are uh, fighting like crazy to get that that back to that point in time so you know root for you guys you know, every day out of the year except one, and I hope you know that. <laughs> there you go. Well, Jace, thanks so much, man, and, and you have a great day, and, and more importantly, uh, you know, have a great off season. You know, that sounds kind of weird in the fall, isn't it? Oh, it does, no doubt. And, uh, All right, man. As well, and thanks again. Thanks, Adam, for having me on. You All got right. It. Thanks, Jace. Appreciate it, bud. Well, thanks so much. Great to talk with another coach in the Mid-American Conference and. You mentioned it with Jason Candle, Coach Mack. A lot of well-respected coaches that are in this league, whether they're head coaches or assistants, a ton that have built their rep and come up through this league. So you can certainly hear the fire and the passion in Coach Candle. And uh, as you mentioned, whether he's been an assistant or a head coach, he's done some great things in the Mid-American Conference at Toledo. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's a guy that, that – I actually met a while back and, and could tell from the first time we talked that this guy's going to be successful and uh, he'd bring his staff down to Florida and, you know, and be able to our camps and, and, you know, to be able to evaluate kids and this and that and had an opportunity to sit on the, on our back patio there and, and uh, you know, have a great, great talk a couple nights in a row, just philosophically and, and, uh, he, he's actually ended up hiring a couple guys that, that I'd worked with. And, um, you know, I just uh, got nothing but respect. And I think it was really good. I think, you know, the people that are listening, you know, here down the road, he's going to be a guy that, that's going to be an everyday voice as, as a head college football coach. And, uh, you know, I, I was glad that he, glad he got on because he is a grounded guy. And, and yet, you know what, he's a great coach. Yeah, he certainly is, and there have been many, many good games between Toledo and Central Michigan. I know he talked about, you know, the battle for I-75, Bowling Green against Toledo, and of course the battle for the Canton Central and Western Michigan, but it's become a little bit of a, uh, a rivalry here with Toledo being clo so close to the state of Michigan, and that game just habitually falling on the last day of the year, you know, right during that Thanksgiving time where it becomes important. So 
there's been a nice little rivalry between Toledo Central Michigan. It's great that, again, you see the respect from your side and from his side to, you know, be able to just sit down and talk some football. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun, you know, and obviously we crossed paths. Uh, that, you know, they recruit heavily, you know, in the state of Michigan and, and um, you know, we're inevitably recruiting a lot of the same guys and, and you know, the, the respect I have for him is, is he's recruiting them one, but he's recruiting them the right way. And, and, uh, you know, in this business that doesn't always, <laughs> isn't always that way. So that's why I got a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Fifth year, Jason Candle, appreciate him coming on here, head coach of Toledo, hoping that there's a battle coming up between the Chippewas and the Rockets this spring as, as we look for football again in the Mid-American Conference. Coach, no football this fall for the MAC and some other conferences, but with that said, we, we still want to know about your team and your staff in particular. So I think, you know, as we shift here and continue this podcast each week, I think we need to start getting back into just continuing to meet and talk with your coaches and maybe get some of your student-athletes here on in the future. No, I think absolutely, you know, now that we've kind of got a schedule in place, uh, I think it'd be great we, you know, get maybe the coordinators on here in the next week or so and, and then uh, – you know, start to work on, on getting some of the players on because I know the people are excited to hear from them and, and really more than anything, see how they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we can't have football uh, with the uncertain times, but certainly still want to hear from all these student-athletes and these coaches. As we know you, Coach, and the staff and the players, they're all still working hard and training and uh, getting ready again for that hopeful spring season. But regardless, there will be football again at some point. And uh, we're looking forward to that time and kind of using the podcast here as a stopgap as, as we get to that football season eventually. Yeah, and uh, it's been fun, man. This, this is a good deal. What did you say, four months? Four months. So, uh, again, if you want to send me, like, a card in the mail, like a congratulate, <laughs> I, I don't know what you want to do, Coach, but uh... – <laughs> Oh, I tell you what, you putting up with me for four months, man, I tell you, you should, you should get battle pay on this. Uh, that's all I know. I'll make sure I'll, I'll let everybody know I should be earning double pay here working with Coach Mack. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, in all seriousness, Coach, been a, been a ton of fun and uh, another great podcast. Thanks so much for your time, and let's do it again next week. Let's keep it rolling. You know, let's do that, and, and you know, at the same time, let's uh, – Let's all stay safe and, and, you know, when you do get a chance, get out there in the community, get a get a chance to maybe order a pizza from one of Johnny Hunter's places, you know, um, you know, be it at the Ale House or the cabin or something like that, and maybe get a to-go order. And, and don't forget to follow it up with some uh, Fabiano Brothers, uh, you know, Bud and Bud Light. And, uh, you know, that's really uh, something that we can do right now in a safe distance uh but really support our local businesses. I think that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Got to support the community as they always support Central Michigan Athletics and the university as a whole. Hey, Coach, I've been supporting the local businesses, the golf courses here during the quarantine. I got to ask you just before we go here, you got any tips? Because, you know, I feel like I'm getting worse at this game. I'm not getting any better. Well, you know, the only tip that I'm really good at at that game is when I close my eyes and swing really hard. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm going to start using the Happy Gilmore run up to the ball and just swing because it's it's not working what I'm doing right now. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do know this. Since finally we're kind of getting some things eased back, you, 
you can't blame it on not seeing the ball because of how long your hair was. So yeah, that's now right. you can kind of haircut, you're okay. I've uh, got I, no excuses. I've been getting all the reps. <laughs> I'm just not getting any better. <laughs> I love it. All right, Coach. Well, thanks so much. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, buddy. You be good.